0: Welcome to the Living Out Podcast, helping people, churches and society talk about faith and sexuality.
1: and welcome to the Living Out podcast where we talk all things faith and sexuality. It's really great to have you with us today, we're so thrilled that you're listening as we continue our Meet the Author series where we're just taking the chance to get to know some of the people who've written for us on our website livingout.org and to learn from them and about them. And today I'm really excited because we've got someone with us today who I have learned a lot from and I'm really excited that you're going to get to learn from her, hear some of her wisdom as well. But before I introduce our guest, I'll introduce Anne, I'm so pleased that Anne is with me me and this podcast today is going to release exactly one month before Christmas so I was thinking what are you most looking forward to about Christmas this year? (laughs)
0: Well, (laughs) I mean, I'm not a massive fan of Christmas. I have to say, I I don't like all the sort of tart and tinsel and glitter that gets everywhere. And and I can't wrap a present to (laughs) save my life. But uh, (laughs) I think uh, this year I'm really excited because my parents and my sister and my niece are all coming to us over Christmas. Um, So it's going to, you know, we've got some games for them to play. Abby, my housemate, has gone crazy with getting everyone a stocking, including the cat. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We've got quite a Christmassy house. So we've got a log fire and stuff. So I think just spending time with family, uh, eating nice food and playing games and, yeah, petting the cat. That's that so nice. What's your Christmas
1: game of choice?
0: Well, we all love charades, so, yeah. classic. Yeah.
1: What's Christmas about charades? Exactly, yeah. Very nice.
0: <laughs> How about you?
1: Well, it probably won't surprise listeners that, uh, tat and tinsel and glitter do appeal to me so that's one thing I like about Christmas I guess uh, I, I always think about it. I mean all the obvious things it is obviously lovely to have time with family and friends I do like the food I'll admit this week we've had some like cold roast chicken and sausages in the fridge which I've been picking out every time I open the fridge and it's reminded me of Christmas I think I most like about Christmas the leftovers actually the turkey the gammon and stuff that you can just pick away at from the fridge so yeah I'm looking forward to that turkey sandwiches is one of my favourites so uh, definitely oh, the food <laughs> 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 it's not long we've got to get ready' We're four weeks away. Well, let me introduce uh, today's guest. I'm really thrilled today we've got a friend of mine Julie Maxwell, with us. welcome to the podcast Julie and why not just start off by telling us a few key details about yourself
2: yeah hi good good to be with you uh this afternoon um i uh I'm a pediatrician um a community pediatrician uh, which means i um work with children with uh, learning difficulties and autism um, and language disorders um, and I have three children I've got uh, a 17 year old a 19 year old and a 21 year old um, and uh, they're all at home with me and my husband at the moment all come two of them come back from university um, and uh, yeah that's about me
1: very nice and so what are you most looking forward to about Christmas this year
2: but you know what? I'm with Anne. I'm not a big <laughs> fan of Christmas. I oh. hate, hate all the decorations and all the tat and all the, uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of Christmas. Um, but you know, do you know what I'm really looking forward to this year? I'm really looking forward to being able to do services at church without any restrictions because we yeah. were still last year. Uh, under quite a few sort of restrictions as to as to what we could and couldn't do so uh, i'm just really looking forward to being having have normal services and being able to hug people and um yeah hugging's an interesting one i wasn't really into hugging massively before covid and and now i want (laughs) to hug hug everybody
1: (laughs) how lovely it would be a hug-filled christmas i love that idea (laughs)
0: So, Julie, you mentioned that you're a community paediatrician, which it sounds like you have to get really long business cards to fit that on. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Could you tell me a bit more? Yeah, what does that look like day to day? what what do you sort of spend your time doing?
2: There's a lot of paperwork involved, a lot of report <laughs> writing, which is the boring bit. Um, but the, the, the best bit about my job is um, doing developmental assessments on children. So generally younger children, sort of around three, four years old, looking at their general development, their language development, um, and kind of looking at where, what what their issues are and, and how we can best help them. Um, so it involves a lot of talking to the parents, a lot of supporting parents, um a lot of kind of liaising with schools preschools um other professionals that, that, so I, that, I love all that kind of stuff um, and i also um do uh, looked after children so that's children who are in foster care so i'm involved in um sort of uh, um approving foster carers that's what i was doing this morning actually um and um and, and also doing assessments on children who are in care to make sure that they're healthy because they're quite at risk of having generally poor health and poor outcomes. Um, so it's a very varied job um, but I don't deal with unwell sick children, um, it's more about development.
0: Amazing, yeah it sounds like no two days are the same for you really. No not really. <laughs> and and how did you get into it, is this something you'd always wanted to do or is it something you kind of you know approached? at a particular point in your life? Yeah,
2: so I always knew I wanted to work with children. Um, At one point, I thought I wanted to do neonatology, which is kind of special care baby unit but you know premature babies um I really loved that but when I had my own kids I realized that uh that kind of um medicine wasn't really compatible with um being able to put my family first so um so I work part I've only ever worked part-time since I had the kids um and the community paediatrics is something which is flexible it's basically nine to five I can kind of move things around as and when I need to um so so yeah and and I and I do enjoy it.
0: Excellent. That's the main thing, isn't it? (laughs) So, Julie, you mentioned that uh, a lot of the kids that you work with in your professional life are are, are kind of younger children, uh, but you've got your your own older children, teenagers. Um, And I believe you work with with youth as well, kind of uh, teens.
2: Yeah. So, um, I mean, I've been involved in youth work in kind of a variety of ways well ever since I was a teenager myself probably I guess um but had had a bit of a break while my kids were were growing up and sort of did the whole toddler group you know thing um but about 10 years ago I um started working with the 11 to 14s at our church I go to a a large Anglican church um we have a, a very large youth um section um and so yeah so I've been working with the 11 to 14s um over yeah over the last 10 years um so so that kind of gives me another perspective um as well as my own children and as well as my sort of pediatric pers- perspective um and uh that yeah i love i love working with young people i love chatting with young people i love trying to understand young people um and uh you know i don't think they always like me and in that i'm not cool i'm not young um but but i can be a mother figure i think sometimes which i think can be can be good in youth work i think i think a variety of ages in youth work is really helpful
0: yeah yeah and it's definitely uh, it's definitely good to not to try and be too cool when you know <laughs> i've made that mistake and i'm like i'm a middle-aged woman <laughs> stop it <laughs> yeah. And yeah, there are lots of strings to your bow. You also uh, work for an organisation called Lovewise. Um, can you tell us a bit more about? That and what you do there?
2: Yeah, so, so I discovered Lovewise, um, about 12 years ago, something like that, when I became a bit concerned about what my kids were going to learn in sex education at school, um, both from a Christian perspective, but also from a, actually from a, um, pediatric perspective. Um, I was concerned about the, the sort of what was in the material they were learning about. So I researched, um, and came across Lovewise and used some of their material to teach my daughter and some of her friends um and then ended up working for them. Um, so there it's a it's basically a Christian organization. We produce um resources uh which kind of teach on various aspects of marriage, um growing up, puberty, babies, um Abortion, pornography, all all of those kind of topics um, from a Christian perspective. Some of the things are more Christian than others. Um, so some of them we go into schools and teach. So sometimes it might be Christian schools, other times it might be just ordinary schools. There are also books for parents, um, resources for churches, um, and the and the the charity was set up by two paediatricians so um so that's kind of I I guess we're all coming from a very similar perspective um so yeah I really enjoy doing that as well.
0: Wow it sounds like something that's really really needed um what what are the kind of topics that are most in demand I suppose what do parents and teachers and and kind of people who support young people particularly want to know?
2: I I think Pornography is, is one of the, the big ones, particularly schools, you know, are, are really concerned and some of the material that's out there is actually quite explicit in itself, whereas ours is, is very much not. Um, for, and I think parents, I, I think, you know, the, I mean, obviously, gender is, I think, I think is one of the biggest concerns for parents at, at the moment. Um, so we have a number of articles on our, um, website which is actually for young people called Lovewise Online and we've got a number of articles on, on issues
0: um, on there. Yeah no, we're going to sort of come on to talking uh, about trans because you know you've written some really helpful stuff for, for us and and obviously you've worked quite closely with Andrea on, on uh, some stuff for parents as well. Um, how, how did you actually sort of get involved particularly in the conversation about trans identifying teens? Can you sort of walk us through that journey a little bit? Uh,
2: yeah that's a, a very interesting <laughs> question um i think from a combination of the the love wise stuff and so teaching kids about puberty and about relationships combination of that and my pediatric um sort of you know hat um i i just kind of became quite concerned about what I discovered was going on with young people and, and just thought hang on this doesn't this doesn't really add up um and, and I don't think kids are getting the the right kind of support really um and so as I discovered what was going on um from from yeah from a love-wise and a pediatric perspective I I kind of Kind of, well, quite, quite a lot of people talk about going down a rabbit hole. You sort of, once you, I think it's one of those things that once you get interested in it, you just get more and more and more interested in it. Um, and, uh, um, I, I you know, I just want to help, help people, um, help families, help young people. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there don't seem to be that many people willing to kind of get involved in this area. Um, and so I did.
0: So do you work with, uh, sort of, secular bodies and organisations as well as Christian stuff you know are you able to sort of bridge that gap a little bit
2: yeah so I, I am and, and I think it was actually in the secular world really that I first got really involved in this so I, I wrote a letter which got published along with Chris Richards from Lovewise um, and that got um, the, the notice of the some of the secular clinicians that were involved in this so yes I'm involved in, in a, um, a whole group of clinicians um, that are sort of do, trying to kind of raise questions and raise awareness, um, on, on this whole issue. Um, so, and, and I think in, in many ways, the Christian world, in, in like so, so many other things, we're a bit behind the curve on this one. <laughs> um, and, uh, I think we're, we're trying to, trying to catch up a little bit.
0: Thank you so much for that, Julie. It's really interesting to know a bit more about your professional background and all the different areas that you're working with young people and children. I'd see your passion uh, for helping and supporting them as well. After the break, we'll be diving into something that you've written uh, for the Living Out website, which has been extremely helpful. Hi listeners, Anne here, just letting you know about our new YouTube channel. We've got loads of stuff for your viewing pleasure, including personal stories, talks, animations, advice, and these podcasts, with lots of content being added all the time. Click the icon on the Living Out website or go to YouTube and search at Living Out to view and subscribe.
1: So Julie, you've written a really helpful and important article for us under the title Parenting a Child Questioning Their Gender Identity. I wonder first, uh, just maybe for any listeners who might not be uh, so sure even what that means, could you just talk and help us understand what we're talking about when we talk about a child questioning their gender identity.
2: Yeah, it, it, it's it's a, a bit of an interesting phrase, isn't it? And I think um, I think lots of people are very aware of the the phrase transgender, um, but but there are good reasons why um, we don't necessarily want to kind of use that. Uh, immediately with young people, um, or even at all perhaps with young people. So I think for, for particularly people who've got teenagers themselves, I think most of us are aware that, um, amongst teenagers and young people, there is, um, a, a real, um, question over people's identity generally um, and you know I, I'm hearing increasing numbers of stories of schools and things kind of asking people what their gender identity is or, or asking them what their pronouns are um, and it almost seems to be you know who are you you know what's your gender identity what pronouns do you want to use and and I think to a certain extent, that is um, increasing the likelihood that people, that young people, are questioning their gender. So, you know, rather than just the sort of general "Who am I?" as a teenager, um, you know, they they're instinctively "What's my gender identity?" You know, am I male? Am I female? Am I non-binary? Am I, and actually, you can see lists of kind of hundreds or however many different gender identities, and so. So I think it's leading a, a huge number of young people to be thinking about something that when I was young, it wasn't even something you thought about. Um, and you know, so I think it, you know, this, this whole idea of questioning your gender identity. So, so there are lots of young people who aren't necessarily, um, identifying as transgender even, but they, they have got questions around what is my gender identity? Who, you know, who am I?
1: I guess that's one of the important points, isn't it? There's uh, a huge breadth of experiences, actually, that fall under this whole area of of transgender, gender, gender questioning, actually. Maybe that's even helpful to point out to people, actually, that it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not only if someone's saying, no, I'm definitely trans, I want to do this, that, and the other to my body – actually no. it's going to be all different levels of kind of questioning yeah. and exploring that and I mean you have mentioned there and so many listeners be aware of there's like a huge numbers of young people who seem now to be questioning their gender identity or identifying as trans which is a, a relatively new thing in kind of the last decade has grown after the last decade mm. you've indicated there it's very much more in the kind of waters young people are swimming in but could you say a bit more on why you think this is happening why so many young people are questioning their gender in a way that hasn't been evident before how you might kind of understand what's Going on,
2: yeah. I mean, it's it, it's a it's a really interesting question, isn't it? And and um, I think you know we, we we definitely know that there is is uh, there are statistics around the massive increase in particularly teenage girls who have been referred for gender identity services, but there are also a whole raft of young people who haven't been referred to medical services that you know questioning their gender as well. Um, and I think there are a, a lot of reasons um, that. People are kind of suggesting as, as as to why this might be. Obviously, some people will say, "Well, it's just because there's greater awareness and there's more understanding." I think I think the majority of people don't kind of think that that is a, a a sensible answer, really, because you know if there were so many, really were so many teenage girls that that genuinely had a gender issue, we would also be seeing a whole raft of middle aged women um with, with gender issues and actually what we're more likely to see is middle-aged women who say oh my goodness you know I wanted to be a boy when I was younger and actually if I lived now then maybe I would have said I was transgender um which is what we seem more likely to to see so you just see this kind of peak um in the teenage years um so to me that that suggests there's something else going on um, so there Partly, I think, as I already mentioned, this idea of children in schools being asked what their gender identity is. So they're having to think about it when it's something that previously they wouldn't have thought about. They wouldn't have even questioned it. Um, they may not have liked particularly who they were, but they wouldn't have even occurred to them. They could identify as something different. Um, but one of the biggest issues is, um, is kind of what we call, um, social contagion. So we, we know. Historically, so kind of, you know, when I was doing paediatrics, you know, 10, 20 years ago, we would see big, um, sort of clusters of teenage girls who would be anorexic or self-harm. And it, there would often be a whole group of friends who would kind of end up with very similar things. And we see it, we're seeing a similar thing with this whole gender identity, um, uh, difficulty. Um, and there, there seems to be something about Once one girl identifies as non-binary or a boy, then, uh, you know, others seem to follow suit and it seems to be that they um, kind of, you know, join in. Um, We're also seeing a a significant increase in mental health problems generally, which is kind of quite known about on the media. Um, And most of these young people who uh, express issues around their gender identity a lot of them have already had mental health problems previously. Um, and this comes kind of as part of or on top of those mental health problems. Um, and a, a significant number of them are also on the autistic spectrum as well. Um, some are already diagnosed, some end up with a diagnosis later. Um, so there's the, the sort of all sorts of um, things that can be going on with these young people. But it seems that in our current... Um, climate in our current society the 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 distress that these young people are feeling around all sorts of things seems to be interpreted as gender identity that they kind of get given this as a potential answer and that can be through social media influencers youtubers um who tell them this is this is your problem um and this is what's going to fix it that transitioning is going to fix your problem um and and obviously you know we know well, all of us, you know, if somebody says this is the answer to your problem um, and you're distressed, you know, you, you jump at it if it seems like it's going to answer your problem. So I think, um, you know, it is it is very complex and nobody totally knows because this is such a new phenomenon, this huge increase. Nobody really knows for sure. But those are the kind of um, things that seem to be playing into it and that, and that uh, seem to be um, issues um, that are, that are causing problems.
1: It's really helpful. It is complex, but actually it's important to have a depth of appreciation of what's going on, not just the kind of soundbite statistics we might hear in the news, say, but actually think what are all the many different facets of what's going on. Yeah. Uh, so the article you've helpfully written for us is kind of, I guess, speaking to parents who might find themselves in some way engaging with the young person, uh, engaging in these kind of questions. Maybe that as a child has suddenly announced that they're trans or they want to change the way they're dressing or change their pronouns or in some way just is expressing some questions around their gender. And you kind of really are seeking just to bring some initial reassurance, maybe to parents, and some kind of top key tips, bits of advice. I think you've kind of got twelve top tips in there. I wonder if you could pick out just a few that you think are maybe most significant, or just kind of what are the most important things you always feel you want to communicate to a parent who's facing that kind of situation.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think I think the number number one thing really that well the biggest the biggest thing has got to be not to panic, because I think you know parenting teenagers is, is, is hard work generally um it's a it's a whole different ball game and, and, and i don't think anyone prepares you for parenting teenagers and i think you know we, we, we we're we having to handle things all of the time but i think this particular issue i think because young people are totally immersed in it whereas as parents we're often not um so i think it, it tends to come as a huge shock to parents and i think a lot of the parents i've spoken to have just gone into an complete and utter panic mode so i think you know one of the big reasons for writing this article was to give parents somewhere to go that they could just kind of go okay i don't need to panic the these are some of the things that i can do so that you know there is because you just want to do something as a parent um and and what we what you don't want to do is is react in a way that is going to make this worse so i think i think that the next thing i would say after don't panic um is to is to listen is to listen to what they say, and I think as parents we can be sometimes too quick to tell our kids what we think to try and tell them what they should do, um, and there is a place for that. Uh, but I think we need to actually hear what they have to say. We need to hear what is they're trying to communicate, what the what might be behind their request to. Dress differently or to have a different name or whatever. We don't have to accede to their request, um, but we need to listen to why they want it and actually give them that sort of empathy and sympathy um, along so that to help them know that we we care about them, even if we're not going to agree with what they're what they're saying. Um, So I think that would that would be the, the, the second Big thing would be really listening, um, and the third thing is getting information because I think like we 've already said, you know I think it 's something that parents don 't really understand um, the Their young person will have probably done masses of research on this, spent hours on YouTube or wherever it might be, being to the LGbt club at, at school or whatever it is um, and and as parents we we need to do our research so that we 're armed with information good information um in order to start to understand and to listen um and to kind of navigate a, a way through that so i think parenting teenagers is, is is a lot about navigating um various different issues and, and navigating the changes that happen in the relationships um and and this this is no exception um but it it is it is trickier in in some ways
1: That's so helpful. And we'll come back and make sure we talk at the end about kind of where people can access more information, more support and stuff. I'm just struck with you talk there about not panicking and listening and even actually in the research is part of it is patience, isn't it? I think I have to learn that in life, just walking through, I don't know, walking through difficult things going in my friend's life or in pastoral situations of I'm a bit of a problem solver and I want to be able to just solve it really quickly, get it all done. And most things in life actually revolve patients and it is a walking alongside people on a journey. I guess that's a, that's a, bit of a summary of part of what you're saying there for mm. parents. You mentioned earlier many young people who question their gender identity have various different things going on, maybe already experiencing some level of mental health um, difficulties, sometimes um, autistic uh, diagnosis or characteristics and stuff, different things. Any advice for parents if they are aware of or think there might be other factors going on of kind of what do they do if that's their perception of the situation and how can they make uh, wise decisions in those contexts?
2: Yeah, I think if they... I mean, a lot of these parents will already know that there might be mental health pro- problems going on, so they might already be seeking some kind of counselling or some kind of support. Um, you know, so, so it may be that if they are worried that perhaps their child is on the autistic spectrum, they might need to look into getting a diagnosis. I think one of the the tricky things about this is uh, is that currently uh, the a lot of people who, are, who might be in, you know, in counselling or, or um, therapy or, or those kind of things, don't want to go near kids who have I- issues with gender. Um, and so often, the only people who are willing to work with these kind of children um, are people who have a particular agenda um, and who are going to totally encourage them in, in, in one particular way. So I think, I think one, the, one bit of advice for parents would be to tread carefully to try and have some really open conversations with their GP um, or with their therapist or whoever it is they're dealing with to, to make sure that they've got somebody who is going to um, f- fully explore the issues and, and not just focus on the gender um, because the gender might be the presenting issue, but actually we need to look at all of the other things underneath that. And I mean, the, um, the, the, there is a NHS England review, which has recently taken place called the, the, the CAS review. And there have been some reports out from that, which are trying to make sure that the NHS is, um, putting more effort into a full psychological assessment and therapy and looking at some of these other issues rather than just picking on the gender, um, and heading off down, down a route, which may not be the right route for that child.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've skimmed that report that came out a month ago. I guess now it's kind of it is very much putting across the perspective you're saying. That there's all these different factors seem to be at play, and they're the place for us to start by helping young people. Yeah, and that's encouraging. Actually, there seem to be some shifts towards what seems to be quite level-headed thinking based on what you're saying of the the evidence we do have of what seems to be seems to be happening. And you mentioned um, that a key tip for parents is to kind of do some research, get some understanding of themselves. Maybe give us a few top recommendations of resources people can turn to, or kind of organisations people might want to turn to for support um, if they're parents in those situations.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I think I think as, as far as the situation goes with children um, at the moment, that there, there there isn't very much out there. Christian literature wise for to kind of, um, reading material, but I think there is quite a lot of secular, uh, reading material that is, is very helpful. Um, so there's, there's lots of, um, books which, uh, I think some of them I think we've, um, mentioned in the, in the article. Um, there's a particularly good book called, uh, Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier, which I think is a really helpful book, particularly if you've got a teenage girl, uh, struggling. Um, there are some. Uh, there's a series of podcasts called Gender: A wider lens, which is is a really interesting um, kind of you know weekly podcast, which which deals looks at all kinds of different uh, issues. Some of them from a perspective that that we perhaps we we wouldn't look at it from, but it's interesting to kind of uh, you know hear that perspective. Um, There is a a support group for parents of children who are um, questioning their gender um, called the Bayswater Support Group. Um, And that is a um, group which is really helpful because I think one of the other things that's really important for parents is to, um, to, is to connect with other parents going through the same thing, because I think particularly Christian parents probably think they're the only ones going through this, when actually we know that there are lots of Christian parents, um, going through, um, these kind of issues and, um, so I think connecting with other parents, uh, is a, is a really important thing. Um, and understanding that you're not alone, um, and sharing tips of how, how you've got through things. Um, so one of the, you know, big rules of parenting is, is, you know, actually parenting together and sharing things, um, in any area of parenting. But I think this particularly, um, and that's where I guess the online stuff has been really helpful because it's meant we were able to connect with people all over the country in, in a way that perhaps pre-COVID we didn't quite so much.
1: That's great. We'll make sure we put links to those various resources and groups in um, the show notes, and also listeners do take a look at the article because there's lots of resources linked at the bottom as well a point there. And my encouragement to anyone listening would be to go and read the article. It is so helpful. Some real practical wisdom there. Go if you're a parent; you might be in this situation. It'll help. You might not be, but actually, it's just good to be aware of what's going on among kind of teenage youth culture and be a bit prepared. But even actually if you're not a parent, I think it's a helpful thing to read just to understand some of what's going on and how you might support friends who are parents or people in your church and just kind of be aware of this i really want to believe that we as the church are well positioned to be part of the answer actually to some of the difficulties that teenagers are experiencing so do go and have a look at that brilliant article from julie we are out of time for today sadly i'm so aware we've just scratched the surface of a huge topic uh, the topic of gender transgender is huge if you want to explore that further do head to LivingOut.org. just type transgender into the search bar at the top you'll find a whole range of different resources we've got which are aim to help us to think through these different experiences people have and what the bible says about that what faithfulness to jesus looks like big thank you to julie for joining us today for sharing with us uh, much of your wisdom thank you for Anne as well for being with us and thank you to you for listening Don't forget to like and subscribe and also to share this episode. Maybe you know a parent you think this would be really good for. Why not send it to them in a message? Encourage them to have a listen. We'll be back in a few weeks time. We'll be interviewing another of our authors then and we hope that you can join us for that episode.